Welcome to When Pigs Fly. We're a podcast that's uncovering Cincinnati's rich business history dating back from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and the downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply prost to future innovation. I'm one of your co-hosts, Allie Martin. And I'm your other co-host, Patrick Bailey. And today, we will be talking with Steve Abbott, the Executive Director of Cincinnati Cancer Advisors. Now, Cincinnati Cancer Advisors, it's a nonprofit that exists to improve the care of cancer patients, seeking other opinions so they can walk away with a thorough understanding of their diagnosis and feel confident about the plan that they choose to move forward. So imagine being diagnosed with cancer. What do you do next, right? That's an Mm. extremely stressful situation. It's a tough situation to maneuver, and they are here to be a second opinion and a consultant. I'm really excited to learn where they fit into the entire process. Yeah. How are they planning on being sustainable? How do they plan Mm -hmm. on moving forward? And how do they ultimately, you know, help the most people that they can? Yeah. And from the business perspective too, right? So we Mm. just had this conversation with Bearable. So if you haven't heard that podcast episode, we highly recommend going back and listening to that. That was episode number 42 first, where they talk about the nuances of, of, you know, costs and billing in the medical Mm. field. So then where does a nonprofit like Cincinnati Cancer Advisors fit into something like this? Because as a business, you need to make money, but also you're helping patients save a lot of money, ideally in the long run, and finding a focused path to the most efficient plan possible for recovery. And for today's history nugget, Cincinnati actually, nuggets, plural, (laughs) uh, they actually, you know, Cincinnati has a long history of, you know, cancer care. University of Cincinnati's Department of Cancer Biology can actually trace its roots to the Department of Anatomy from the College of Medicine, you know, for almost 100 years. And then on top of that, right here on the West Side, you know, got to represent the West Side, uh, (laughs) there was a hospital called St. Francis Hospital for the Incurables, operated by the Poor Sisters of St. Francis. Uh, It's still there today on Queen City Avenue. I think it's a nursing home facility today. Don't quote me on that. But, you know, it initially, when it first opened, it was the only hospital west of the Alleghenies. So the mountain chain that runs through Pennsylvania, it was the only hospital west of them with facilities to treat cancer. So, you know, we actually have a really long history of cancer treatment in the tri-state. And and you see Full Circle as a well-renowned research program in, in so many different departments. I'll be curious to see if Steve brings that up in our conversation. Let's bring him in. Let's do it. Okay, Steve, number one, thank you so much for joining us on When Pigs Fly for this conversation. And right out the gate, so I'm a firm believer of when anyone decides to dive into a nonprofit, there's typically a backstory behind why they want to follow and pursue (laughs) that mission. So I would love to start this conversation with you explaining how you found your path to Cincinnati Cancer Advisors and became the executive director. Well, I mean, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Allie and, and Patrick, yeah. by the way. But um, I really appreciate the question because it is, I mean, it is a pretty circuitous path, if you will. Mm-hmm. But um, so I I started out kind of by trade. I'm a CPA and I always considered it a great compliment if someone told me I was not like the normal accountant. So <laughs> that was that was the best compliment anybody could give me. I started to get restless with that. I mean, probably coming up on 20 years ago. You know, I started branching out, really becoming more of what I would call, I'll put it in air quotes, a finance guy, 
because I, it, there was just a point where it's like, I want to be more involved in, you know, the operations. And that was kind of the next level, if you will, of kind of getting closer to the operations. And then went from there into some treasury roles and things like that. And, but when everything changed was when, you know, I had been at Cincinnati Bell for 17 years, which is a great local That's, company. Yeah. yeah. But I, um, I started to realize like, if I don't leave, I'll never leave. And I think that was like the first stirrings of kind of entrepreneurship. You know, it's kind of like I could either stay here and just kind of keep on keeping on. And inertia is a very powerful thing and it can be good or it can be bad. But I, you know, I felt like I need to I need to kind of shake things up a little bit. And so that kicked off a series for me of where I went to a series of challenges, I guess you would say. So I went to Formica, which was you know, it helped, yeah. it was part of a team that helped them emerge from bankruptcy. And, and then once that's, that sold, I went into a startup company that eventually sold to Kroger and Sprint. And that was really, that was literally living day to day. I mean, there was, mm. you know, we didn't know how we were going to make payroll most weeks, honestly. And uh, somehow we did every single time. But, um, and so, you know, that was living in a life of a startup is um, it's a great way to build character. I will, I will tell you. Um, <laughs> Lots of ramen. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, you know, once that sold, then me and some buddies kicked it, launched our own consulting firm. And so we went and did some different things for a little while. And then I went on to MedPace, which is another great local company. And we sold that twice. And then I, then I was diagnosed with cancer and everything really changes then. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I was, diagnosed with cancer in August, 2013. And, and by September, 2014, you know, I really felt like, I don't know what it is, but I, I, I want to just do something that is not, I don't want to call it a legacy, but just do something that is something that just makes me like really excited to get up every single day. And a friend of mine called and he, he owned a hotel in Tuscany, gorgeous luxury hotel in Tuscany. And, you know, he, he knew what I was interested in. We, we had known each other for a long, long time. And I thought, well, what could be better than this? And so over the next five years, I made 26 trips to Tuscany. Most people were lucky to get one, but I almost became 26, like... 26, wow. Yeah. And then the pandemic hit, of course, which hit Italy disproportionately hard. And so, you know, that was a struggle trying to keep the doors open for about a year until it was clear that that was, was not going to work. And in fact, the hotel still hasn't yet reopened. And that's when my um, that's when my friend and oncologist and mentor of eight years, Bill Barrett, called me. And it was a combination with a visit that I made here as a patient, as a matter of fact. So despite all the treatments that I had had over the years, surgery and radiation, multiple rounds of radiation, hormone therapy for five years or so, mm-hmm. my numbers were taken off again and we couldn't figure out why. And so Bill Barrett wanted me to come out here to Cincinnati Cancer Advisors and see Dr. Phil Lemming out here, um, who's one of the best oncologists in the area. And we came out and um, and Phil found a clinical trial up in Michigan where I was able to go up and use a new imaging technique to find the source of three spots of cancer that we ended up treating. But the how that all fits together is I was so impressed with what I saw when I came here that I called Bill that night. And I said, that, that was an amazing experience. Mm. You know, I spent about two and a half hours with the team, which I'd never been able to do before. And I said, I'd, I'd love to be part of it somehow. And I really meant, to be honest, <laughs> I'm glad I didn't tell him that. I really meant to like maybe in a volunteer capacity. And um, <laughs> he invited me to dinner the next night and we went out and talked. And, you know, he said, I, 
would you have any interest in being my executive director? It's quite the promotion. <laughs> yeah, really, really. Um, and so at the time, we only had a, you know, it's a very small team of two people. It was an oncologist and a nurse practitioner. And so I signed on. I, I couldn't have been any happier and still absolutely love it here. And But signed on to grow this business. And we've grown like crazy in the last year. I mean, we're still small, but we've grown from two people to uh, we're hiring our 14th person this week. Wow. So. For our listeners, before we go any further, can you dive into what is Cincinnati Cancer Advisors? Cincinnati Cancer Advisors, I the way I describe it, so first of all, there's there's kind of a two-pronged mission that, that kind of fits together, which is to try to do whatever we can to mitigate the, the suffering and the mortality that often accompanies a cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is, and this is a this ties into a, a broad goal that Dr. Barrett has, uh, plus in combination with his duties as co-director of the University of Cincinnati Cancer Center, which is to make Cincinnati, you know, in the face of a terrible diagnosis, but to make Cincinnati the best place in the country to be. And that's a long-term goal. Where does it compare now? Our cancer landscape here, cancer treatment landscape, is it, I think is very underrated, quite honestly. It, you know, we've got, we have a world-class research institution in our backyard, which is, you know, University of Cincinnati. So I'm not really, in talking about that, I'm not really talking about treatment per se, although that is mm. that is a part of it. But as far as the research that goes on, the clinical trials, you know, the things that go on at, at uh, Cincinnati Children's are, I mean, you know, I think people have a pretty good feel for that and know where Cincinnati Children's ranks. But, you know, I think UC often gets overlooked as, as a site of, incredible cancer research and the findings that come out of there. And and the treatment is, you know, it's top quality. And so, whereas you don't, you, maybe you won't go in and find it every time in U.S. News and World Report, you know, up there with, with Cleveland Clinic and things like that, you're going to get fantastic care here. I mean, there's not a, you know, if you think about, and I, I talked, mentioned this to Dr. Barrett not that long ago, and coincidentally enough, they've started running some TV commercials about it. But you know, we have a, a proton center right in our backyard. I mean, that is that's revolutionary cancer care. I mean, it's minimal, minimally invasive, highly targeted radiation treatment. It's mm-hmm. an incredibly expensive machine. I, I don't know the number, but I'm guessing it's north of $25 million, uh, for the machine alone. And, um, you know, it's in Westchester. And so those kind of things don't always, they're not always known. But, I mean, the quality of care here is fantastic. And that that really is part of what Cincinnati Cancer Advisors was founded on. It's part of the principle it was founded on, which, and I can relate to this because I, this is what I did when I was diagnosed with cancer, which is, you know, oh my God, you know, where, where can I go to make sure that I'm getting the best care? Mm-hmm. At that time, really not, I don't think I was really properly sensitized to the fact that I can, that I can get it here. And so, you know, I took off for the, for the James in Columbus and Cleveland Clinic and, you know, and I've been to Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York and, you know, it was this kind of shopping around for what you think is the best care because the last thing you want to feel is like you left something on the table, right? So, oh, yeah. you know, it's like you don't, you don't want to feel like you've shortcut your care. Not everybody has that luxury, but if you have the means to do it, either through insurance or, you know, your own savings or whatever, you don't want to feel like you shortcutted your care or, or sold yourself short. And so I kind of ran around and did all those things. And so part of the principle that we're founded on is that you don't you don't really have to do those things. So because the tra- you know if you go to travel, it's it's inconvenient, it's expensive. You're doing it likely at a time that you don't feel well, depending on what your diagnosis is. Mm. Um, you may be sick, you may be weak, and so 
you know, none of those things lend themselves very well to get on a plane and flying somewhere else, you know, kind of in an alien environment. So what this was built on was the idea that, that you could come out, you know, meet with a world-class oncologist that's going to take a lot of time to research your case. And so what we do is, is we spend about six to eight hours average on a, on a, on a case and we involve not only local experts, but national experts, sometimes even international experts, where our oncology team, you know, they, for example, may not be tops in the world at treating a, per, a certain type of cervical cancer, but maybe they know the top expert that's in London. And so they'll call and talk to that person and, and we'll share the, the records. And so we really leverage experts all around the world. And so... You don't really have to go to those other places because our, our oncologists here very well already know, may know that expert at MD Anderson or at Dana-Farber or at one of those other institutions. And so you may end up getting, you may end up leveraging that care anyway. Mm. So I guess that leads me to this question of, of going back to what is the Cincinnati Cancer Advisors. If you had to sum it up in a couple sentences, what is the problem that you're solving? That's a great, you know, it's funny. I thought about that right before we got together. And I thought, you know, when I think back to what entrepreneurship is, it's to me, it's either identifying a novel product or service. So it's either something that maybe that doesn't already exist. One of the great things about Google is if you use Google and type in anything, you're going to find out it already (laughs) exists, Uh, which is, uh, you know, I've often told people, if you Google something and you can't find it, there's probably something wrong with you um, because (laughs) uh, that's all out there. But, um, you know, it's really identifying some kind of unmet need. And the second piece of that, to me, is doing it better. And so mm-hmm. that's where I think we fit perfectly. So mm-hmm. first things first, we don't, our services are free. And what is that unmet need? The, the unmet need is somebody that's going to spend six to eight hours on your case that's going to slow everything down. So, you know, in a traditional setting, you've just gotten a terrible diagnosis and you've, and typically you've got some hard decisions to make and, and you've got about a 30 minute consultation with an oncologist to do that. Mm -hmm. And so that's um, that's stressful. Yeah, it is. It is. And so, you know, what the unmet need in this case is someone that is going to spend as long as it takes to answer every question you have to explain it in ways that you can understand and to tap into expertise that is you, you you wouldn't otherwise get because see our services aren't competitive i mean we're not oftentimes i think if you if, if you think of a second opinion and i don't even like using that word i i i kind of refer to us as like a platinum level consultation is more than a second opinion i guess but because second opinions imply i'm not so sure i got the right answer or you know maybe it, i want to make sure i got the right answer but it's like i want to go talk to somebody else and so mm-hmm. You know, really, it, it kind of, in some cases, can set off this competitive thing between doctors and the patient's kind of stuck in the middle. And so we view ourselves as complementary care. So we don't treat, we don't have treatment facilities here. We don't charge, we don't bill insurance companies. So we, we literally have no motivation to trash talk another doctor or to try to take the patient away. Our whole goal is to what we do is we recognize that that doctor may be under pressure to move on to the next patient, may not have the time to properly research the case. And so we view it more as a partnership. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll kind of get you know, behind the scenes. You know, one of our doctors is kind of looking into things, calling people. One of the, the first thing our doctors do when a patient leaves, the very first thing is that they, they call the primary physician. And they say, well, I just saw your patient. 
you know, here are my initial thoughts. I'm going to, I'm going to call around. I'm going to check into some things or they may have an opinion right off the cuff. If it particularly, if it falls in their area of expertise, but the whole goal is to provide a level of care that the patient would otherwise not get. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and we also, another thing we do differently too, is it involves a physical examination and, and, you know, as a eight year cancer veteran, I can tell you that, believe it or not, that doesn't really happen. I mean, you don't really, nobody really lays hands on you other than the treatment itself. So you'd be amazed at the things that are what? identified. Yeah. Just over the years, just, you know, blood clots and other things that may have been more, may have been more problematic than the, than the cancer itself. Oh, wow. And so that comes through again, taking the time to do that. So that's what I think the unmet need is. And that's where, where I think we do it better. And I'm not trying to speak ill of the other health systems, but our model is just built on taking the time. We don't recover our costs from hmm. patients. We recover from donors. So we need to build a model that resonates with, with donors that'll fund this business. And that's what we're doing. So you're partnered clearly with the patients. You're working on behalf of the patient. Now walk us through like next steps. Patient comes to you. What happens next? Um, yep. Are you work, like, are you calling the, a hospital system first off that you're partnered with a doctor that you're partnered with? Are you talking to their existing doctors? What yep. happens? Yeah, yeah, good question. Who's doing all of that too, by the yeah. way. Yeah, <laughs> no, good, good question. I'd say a little bit less than half of the patients that come here come here as a referral from their from their oncologist. Probably, it, and it depends. And the trends have gone a little bit differently over, over the, the you know, kind of almost two full years we've done this. But I'd say it's about forty percent right now of the people that come through come through as a result of their physician referral. That has changed a bit I mean, early on when we didn't really have any, we just weren't known. I mean, it was all word of mouth. And so, yeah. you know, at that point it was, it skewed a lot higher towards uh, physician referral, but now the mix has changed because people are seeing us and, and hearing more about us. And so there's quite a bit more self-referral that's coming now, but yeah. So people will say, uh, let's say there's one of two scenarios, either their doctors familiar with what we do, many of which have already dealt with us. And they'll say, why don't you go out and talk to a CCA or people may have seen us on um, on a podcast or on a um, TV segment or less. So, I mean, we're not like on billboards or anything like that, but it's all you know pretty organically generated marketing. But, you know, they may see us that way and say, you know, what's the harm? I, they're not, I don't have to pay for it. And I'll go talk to them and see what they have to say. So that's the way it's it's worked so far. And so. You know, once we have seen the patient and we do our research, the patient has an option to come back. They can either do it over the phone or we can mail it or they can come back in. You know, after their initial two to two and a half hour consultation, they can come back in for another hour to an hour and a half follow up. And about half the patients do. So, like, I think back to my initial case, I got, you know, I came out here, I got a 23 page written report. And the first page was a page, uh, it was a transmittal letter with, a page of instructions. And so it was like, you know, I think we think you should consider this, you know, and it, and it was very, it was very holistic and comprehensive. It was, you know, even recognizing that some of the treatment, like for example, that I'm on compromises uh, bone health, you know, it causes uh, bone fragility. And so there were recommendations to go see an osteoporosis yeah. doctor. I don't know what you call those guys, but, they, and that's where the initial recommendation popped up to go to Michigan for this clinical trial. And, you know, arguably, I wouldn't be as dramatic as to say it saved my life, but it certainly has extended my life. And that's kind of what happens when you take the time to do the research. 
Now, from the day-to-day aspect of, of on the ground level and the logistical aspect, who is doing all of this research, right? Because I'm sure every year that goes on, your database is growing, so mm-hmm. you have more to pull from. But who is pulling that together and then sending it off to the patients who are coming to you? Because I imagine that's pretty labor-intensive. And what does that look like to scale up? Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the challenges that that we know we'll be dealing with longer term as we grow. But the the first the answer to your first question is, our oncologists do that research. It's not, it's not, uh, we don't have, you know, um, junior people here that are doing that research. It's all done by the oncologists and they, each, each oncologist has either a nurse practitioner or a registered nurse. It's an assistant, but it's primarily done by the oncologist, I mean, him or herself, you know, and it's a high cost model, quite honestly, and for that reason. So, and it kind of lines up with some of the, what some of these health systems charge, but by the time we invest six, eight or 10 hours into a client, you know, it's a, Four to five thousand dollar investment on our part. So, mm. yeah, it would be one thing if we were just you know passing it off to a, a junior person or you know a medical student or something like that. But it's all done at the highest levels, uh, drawing on their knowledge and their their connections and um, yeah, because the network like that. alone is half yeah. the battle too. It's worth the network is hundreds of thousands key. of doctors out there mm. all over yeah. the world. The one thing that you're right, it, particularly when it comes to scaling, is that. Clinical trial navigation is way harder than it should be, and Why there's not there's not a great certainly not a great patient friendly resource for that. There's like clinicaltrials.gov, but it's hard to navigate, and it's even hard for the docs to navigate. Quite honestly, so somewhere, sometime soon, somebody is going to make a lot of money figuring out how to how to make clinical trial navigation easy because. You know, back in the day, clinical trials were something you went into when you you were out of options and you were about to die, mm. quite yeah. frankly. I mean, you, you never wanted to hear that word. And that whole paradigm has changed. So clinical trials can now be something you do near the front end of your treatment because there may be a novel therapy out there that maybe either you want to do in place of or in addition to something else. And so it's a matter of figuring out where those things are, who's offering it, how I get into it. Yeah. And yeah. so that takes a lot of time. And that's why oftentimes it doesn't, it gets overlooked in the traditional uh-huh. healthcare setting. So you mentioned this, this is very high cost <laughs> uh, services. How are you funded? Clearly you're nonprofit, you have donors, but I guess I'm just thinking you have oncologists on staff, you have, you know, healthcare professionals on staff. Yeah. I guess, why are they working with you? And when right. they could probably, you know, maybe make more money you know, somewhere else. So it's kind of two part yeah. question there. You know, it's, it sounds like a lot of money is involved. Yeah, no, in, in fact, you're right. And I, the simple, the way I would kind of sum it up simply is that our doctors are paid well, they're paid competitively, but they, they could make some, they could make more somewhere else. And the reason why I know that is because they left more behind, but, you know, but they're still paid well. And so, because, you know, we need to bring, what good are we if, if we bring in, if we don't bring in the best and brightest, I mean, at, at yeah. that point, you know, we're not really helping anybody. So, you know, we do have to recruit well and we have to pay well. And so what we have to find, and so far I'm happy to say we've been successful in doing that, but it's an ongoing challenge is that what we, what we have to find are those types of private foundations, private donors, mm-hmm. and uh, that, with which with this uh, concept resonates and some of which are maybe quite honestly some of which are former patients but 
the big bits of funding that we get have come from private foundations around town, you know, the last names of which you would recognize. I mean, there are lots of times there are iconic Cincinnati names that have private foundations. And so, you know, in some cases, either Dr. Barrett or Dr. Barrett's brother, John's been a great supporter. Um, Western Southern has been an incredible supporter of this business, you know, not only, not only through direct donations, but just through other uh, ways that they help us out with some joint marketing and things like that. So, so we have to build relationships like that. And uh, because patient that we do have a, we do get quite a bit of grateful patient type donations, uh, but they average about $300 and certainly not everybody makes them. I mean, a lot of people don't even have the means to do that. So this business will never be funded on donations from patients. It's, it's certainly not do- funded based on insurance uh, because we don't bill insurance. And so we have to, we have to build those types of relationships with foundations and private donors. I want to ask you, as an executive director of a nonprofit, what are your thoughts on continuing being a nonprofit? Because one thing, you know, is kind of newer uh, in 2021, a lot of people are going to, you know, impact investing, right? And becoming right. for-profit entities to be sustainable. How do you think you guys can sustain, you know, the great work that you guys are doing? Well, um, I hope I certainly hope we will. Um, I think we're I'm very optimistic based on how things have gone so far and based on the ongoing conversations that we have that we're having with a lot of different foundations around town. We've, we've also um, there's a little bit of an untapped resource, which is there are quite a bit of private foundations that are healthcare focused that you, you just need to find the time to, to write up the grant requests and, and get them in. We've got a great story to tell, but I'm I'm one person, and so you know, thankfully we've we've been able to hire quite a few folks lately. Any grant writers out there, please please give contact Steve. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But you know, but some of those things, if you think about it, I mean, some of those things can be you know, for a foundation, maybe fifty thousand dollars is not much to them, but it is to us. And so, if you can find you know ten, twelve, twenty of those a year, it's an impactful number. And so, you know, I think our next frontier is probably really kind of tapping into that, those foundations that, you know, will do the 50 to $250,000 donations and just tell our story because Mm -hmm. I'd be worried, I'd be more worried about it if we didn't have a great story, but we do. So it sounds like in terms of the financial backing, it's a lot of grants and it's your donors, correct? Mm -hmm. Now, this is a pretty basic question, but if someone is looking to move into a territory like this, where do people find grants? Where are they going to be like, hey, this is where I need to apply? I know that's a basic question, but I wouldn't know where to look. <laughs> well, strangely enough, I'm going to talk to our, our new grant writer at two o'clock this afternoon, and I'll ask that very question as well, <laughs> yeah, because exactly. that's why she's she's coming on board is because that's that's one thing I don't have time to get to. I mean, I can sit just as I can sit and you know talk all day long to people and wear them out like I'm doing to you right now. I can I can write things all day long and, and I'm pretty good at it. But there just becomes a point where I, I just can't get to everything. And mm-hmm. so what we have done, that's exactly what we're doing is bringing in someone that has expertise in that. That can literally go out, just kind of survey the landscape, figure out whether something's a fit, you know, whether um, what's going to be required. So, you know, a lot of these things are online templates where you have to mm-hmm. click buttons and type paragraphs. Some of these things are, you know, ill or, or kind of comparatively ill-defined where it's just you write a bunch of pages and hope that's what they want to read. And, um, and then, you know, oftentimes I'm, I'm just making judgment about what we send in with it because that's not necessarily defined. Mm-hmm. So what we need is some rigor and discipline about that around that now, because I, I agree. I, 
I don't know either, short of getting yeah. on Google, <laughs> quite honestly. <laughs> That then leads me to this next question where, okay, so you, you you were at Cincinnati Bell for 17 years. You took this hiatus and this journey, this entrepreneurial journey that has, has you know, been quite a roller coaster, getting mm-hmm. cancer, then coming here. So you have an interesting background and experience. What have you been able to take through all of that experience, especially through the ups and downs of the early entrepreneurial journey to now? And then looking at the model that you're working with, right? Talking about staffing, money, granting, what would be a good plan of attack for someone who is looking to spearhead, like yourself, a nonprofit? Like what are the main what are the main what are the main roles and responsibilities that you need to fill in a nonprofit? Yeah, and you know what? And I think part of it is quite honestly, the term nonprofit is a little bit, in my opinion, now especially now kind of being here and seeing how it all works, but it's a little bit of a misnomer. I think mm-hmm. it you can make money in a nonprofit, but I, I when I say make money, I'll, I'll put that in quotes. But I mean you can you can generate excess funds relative to your expenses. But it's just you're not paying them out to shareholders or you're not paying it out to investors. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you have to basically has to be plowed back into the business. And so, you know, the really, 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 really successful nonprofits are ones that kind of keep doing that. And they build big endowment funds. And mm-hmm. and, you know, and then so let's say, for example, they get to the point where they've got a hundred million dollar endowment and it generates enough money to run their business year after year after year. And so they've got the advantage of a huge nest egg set aside and, and it reduces their fundraising burden because they're generating it off of investment income. We're fortunate to have a little bit of that, but it, it's not, it's not to the level it can fund the business. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have to go out and hunt every single day, but um, you can go, you can make money. And I think one of the, what I think I bring to the business in addition to a really wide array of a lot of different experiences and skills because I've done a lot of different types of work is a kind of a for-profit mindset, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and I think that is a new, a newer trend, I think in, in the nonprofit world. And as a matter of fact, our attorney, I'm going to have lunch with her on the 29th and she's on the board of a, of a nonprofit. She called me last week and she said, you know, after kind of kind of seeing what you're doing and how you're doing it, we need to hire a new executive director. And I, I want it to be someone from the for-profit world. But I think it's just a mindset of like, we're going to do all the same things that that I've done in other places. I mean, whether that's what I would call guerrilla marketing or, you know, we're going to run this business the same way that other businesses I've been involved with are run. You know, we're not going to just sit here and, you know, just like plod along and do nothing. I mean, we're going to do everything we can to grow this thing. Because if you think about it, like with what we're doing, like I said before, it has to resonate with donors. But in order for us to continue this business and, and it's not going to really resonate that well if we just, you know, one year we have 300 patients, next year we have 310 patients. I mean, you know, this needs to be impactful, particularly when you're dealing with cancer and saving lives and improving people's lives. I mean, not, it's not always a numbers game. Um, sometimes quality is more important than quantity, but in our business, both I think is important because mm-hmm. if I'm a donor, I'm going to be much more inclined to give to you if I feel like you're impacting 2,000 lives instead of 300. And so we've got to grow this business just like we would if we were a for-profit business. So you mentioned an endowment fund. Is that part of your plan to help you guys scale beyond your current uh, patient reach? Um, quite honestly, I would say yes. And it, and it needs to be. And so building a, 
a bigger nest egg for us could do one of two things. It could provide, like we were talked about, could provide an endowment that could, into perpetuity, could fund this business as it's currently run. Or we could raise a whole lot of money and then, which would take us in a different direction or at least maybe an additional direction, which is to begin providing care, but to provide it in the way that we provide it. And so it still would be maybe to build a facility, to acquire the equipment we need to treat people, may or may not ever involve charging patients. You know, but that's kind of out there as a possibility because that's a chance for us to kind of do things the way that we feel like they should be done based on, you know, kind of how things aren't being done well currently. So that's also a possibility. What challenges are you facing while you're scaling? You know, we've been, uh, you clearly have a couple paths that you can go down. What's the obstacles in your way currently? One of the things that we insist on doing, I, I call it the no bad egg policy, but, um, but, you know, it's imperative that when we hire, that it, we have to hire the right kind of people because there are a couple of reasons. I mean, that, that sounds cliched, but we're still small enough that, you know, one bad egg out of 10 is a big problem. And, yeah. um, you know, one out of a 2000 person company is not particularly, but one out of 10 is. And so, you know, we have to hire very carefully and very selectively. And thankfully, even in going from two to, depending on the day, I can't remember if it's 13 or 14 now, the way we've gone about that is we've only hired people that someone here knows and has worked with before. So mm. you kind of have to be vouched for, if you will. And so that takes a lot of worry out of the process. And so everybody that comes in is like-minded. And, you know, what's really unique about this environment is if you think about it, you know, I mean, quite, I'll just be completely honest. Lots of times people with cancer, part of the reason why they don't want to talk about it or part of the reason why they hide it is because they're, they are afraid people are going to find out that it might impact their livelihood or their career, their ability to find or retain a job. And that's a bonus here. I mean, I, you know, I'm the executive director. I have metastatic cancer. I'm not curable at this point. You know, my wife joined us in April. She's a breast cancer survivor. So, that you know, that type of person here that brings that type of compassion and empathy to the job is a huge bonus for us. That allows us to, it's not, it doesn't go to being selective, but what it does do is that we can draw upon people that really get this, that really understand it because they've walked this treatment path before, this, this cancer journey before. And they, so they have a feel for how can you do this better? And so we have a disproportionately large share of people here that have dealt with cancer, not tons, but, you know, more than the average workplace. And that, that really helps us, I think, build the right approach to, to, to care. So this is going to be my last question for you. But what is that one thing that you want people to know about Cincinnati Cancer Advisors? Yeah, you know, the challenge, one of the challenges in this business, when you know, we talked, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things and and growth and what our growth plans might look like. But it's a very, it's very counterintuitive if you think about it, which is, first of all, there's nothing that any of us would love more than to be put out of business. And that sounds like, it sounds a little cheesy, but it's true. And um, so, you know, we're in a business where if you think about, let's say, for example, you typically, you want to be in a business, a sector that's growing, right? Where there's, Mm -hmm. there's a greater potential for customers. There's more and more people that are interested in the service. We're in a completely different situation where we don't want the customer base to grow. 
We don't want that universe to grow. We want that universe yeah. to get smaller. Um, yeah. So what we have to do is, what I want us to do is to, t- to have a greater percentage of people that are dealing with a fairly static number come out to see us because we honestly believe we can pr- we can improve outcomes. So if I, at some point in time, if I'm ever, if I ever leave this business behind and I hope I don't, but if I could walk away and felt like that more, you know, 20% of the 11,000 Cincinnatians every year that get diagnosed with cancer came out to see us and we were having to work our butts off to, to see those people and, and do it in the way that we do it. I can think of no greater legacy. So I, I don't want one more person to get cancer, but of those people that do get cancer, I want them to know about us and I want them to come here and see our doctors because I know, I know the, the ethos. I know how, how this business is run. I know the mindset of the people that run it. That I think is, could be our greatest gift to the city. And I hope people will continue to come and I hope we'll get more and more of those folks. So my last question is, how can the Cincinnati community help you out? Great question. Um, You're like, money. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, that's why it's a great question because I don't actually I don't want to say that. Um, in fact, we'll we're say very, it for you. Yes, we will well, say that for you. We're, well, we're very, I mean, we are very low-key in, yeah. in that approach because, um, you know, like I said, even – you know, because another way we could do this business is um, because like, we don't want to deal with all the insurance hassles. We don't want our patients to deal with it. One way we could run this business is just to, you know, take our chances, build the insurance company, collect whatever they'll give us. And, and you know, and that would that would certainly help. But then it interjects this whole bureaucratic process into something that we don't that we don't want to be. Bureaucratic. Something that you're trying so, to get rid of. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because it's a huge impediment to good care, quite honestly. Mm. So whereas we don't like to say we don't like to answer those questions by saying money. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, that's that that is how uh, people in the area can help. But, you know, we're, we're fully capable of continuing to tell our story and get our message out. And and, and I'm confident I'm optimistic about the corporate community and the private foundations. I'm very optimistic that I think we can continue to make inroads with that. And my hope is that we never really have to bang on people's doors individually for, for mm-hmm. money. I mean, it, it's great when they give it. We're very appreciative. I mean, Dr. Barrett has a tried through philosophy, every single donation, it can be $5 and it, you know, you get a hand signed letter from Dr. Barrett. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and I know that cause I take them to him. And, and so <laughs> and I bring them back and we mail them out. Um, but you know, people can help every single donation helps, but I don't want that. None of us want that to get in the way of people coming here to seek quality consultation and quality care. So with that said, where can people find more information about Cincinnati Cancer Advisors? Thank you for asking. So, um, the, the, our main site is CincinnatiCancerAdvisors.org. There is a donate capability on that site if one is so inclined. But you can make an appointment. You can make an appointment there. You can request either an online or virtual consultation. Believe it or not, most of our most I, I'd say about eighty to eighty-five percent of our consultations are in person, and that was even during COVID. Wow. Cancer is a very That's profound crazy. disease, and so I think people want to sit across the table and see the whites of your eyes when you're talking to them. And so, yeah. so you can get online, you can request a virtual consultation, you can request an in-person consultation. You can get a very good idea of, of our services there, how we provide them, what our philosophy is. You, there, Like I said, there is a, a donate capability. And also, just so you know, as a side note, I wanted to mention this, is that now we're podcast brethren. 
Um, <laughs> we launched our podcast series uh, last month or at the beginning of November, honestly. And um, and so we'll be releasing a new podcast every Wednesday at 1230. And it's called Medical Minute. We're calling it that because each segment we're going to try to do about five questions and try to limit the answers to about one minute each. And the whole awesome. goal behind this is to demystify cancer. It's a very complicated, not only complicated disease, but the terminology, the things that people are given to read, it, it, you regular people can't understand it, quite honestly. And so yeah. our whole goal is, and this is where having patients on staff really help, is to, to identify an endless array, I mean, an infinity of questions that patients just nod their head at, and they don't really know what it means. They're asked to make a decision on the basis of information they don't understand. And um, they leave the office never even knowing what it was that they decided. <laughs> and uh, so our whole goal was to take those things and explain them in very simple terms, one minute at a time. And they're, they're, like I said, there's we can run this series for the next 50 years because of yeah. just how complicated cancer is. So every Wednesday at 1230, we'll release one of those. We'd really appreciate it if people could tune into that. Give us seven or eight minutes of your time. Because we really think we can we can make a, a very big impact in the city and and have it become a vital service that's free and even beyond our city, right? So it's a great tool, it's yeah, a great yeah, educational exactly. tool. So if you or someone else you know or a family member uh, may be struggling with cancer, and especially in those early phases, it sounds like a great way to um, become knowledgeable. Yeah. And yeah, with that said, Steve, thank you so, so much for taking the time today. We we really, really appreciate it. And we are in the holiday season. So if you're listening to this and feel like you want to go hit that donate button, do it. <laughs> Smash that donate button. Get, actually, this episode is going to release on Giving Tuesday. On so. Giving Tuesday. So, <laughs> oh, seriously. Wah, 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 wah. How about that? Yeah, yeah, spoiler alert. Huh? <laughs> All right. Sounds good. And like I said, you, you'll get a hand-signed letter from Dr. Barrett. Love it. <laughs> Well, Steve, thank you. Thank you so much again. Thanks, guys, for having me. This is an incredible opportunity to get our story out. I really appreciate it. Um, and and uh, I'd love to have you guys on our, our podcast at some point in time, too. Just say when. All right. Sounds good, guys. Hey, have a great Thanksgiving, and thanks again. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy talking with executives who are spearheading nonprofits because mm. we've had a couple on our podcast, but we don't always talk with nonprofits. And it truly is, as Steve said, a cha- you, you see the change in the environment and the culture of operating a nonprofit as more like a business these days because you have to. Yep. If you want to be sustainable and you really want to make an impact, yeah, that's kind of where my, where my first thought was. That was went my biggest takeaway as well. He is thinking about where are we going to go in the future to sustain this, which mm-hmm. I think sometimes gets you know missed in nonprofit yep. world. How are you scaling up? Right, you want to scale up the impact. As he mentioned, he wished the problem would be just decreasing on its own and they would mm-hmm. go out of business. But unfortunately, as of right now, cancer is not going away anytime soon. So. There's a huge need for their services. Huge need for their services. And his one of the biggest takeaways that I'm going to be excited to watch on Cincinnati Cancer Advisors' journey is what he mentioned, that it takes a lot of money in order to make this work. And mm. it seems like they're really trying to come up with a lot of different strategies as to how to scale up. So going back to endowment funds, larger donors, that all goes back to relationships. Mm -hmm. There are there's so many nuances that will make this nonprofit successful. 
but because it does have have quite a bit of a hefty overhead because he wants to hire the best type of people, which is very much for-profit mm-hmm. strategy, I think it will be great to see what he's able to do in the Cincinnati community, and who knows, even maybe beyond it. But there's there's a lot to be said about what Cincinnati Cancer Advisors bring a just their services alone bring to our community from an educational standpoint, from an intimacy standpoint. I mean, I'm I'm fortunate that I've I've been healthy myself and have not experienced that journey. But imagine putting yourself in someone's shoes that all of a sudden you're diagnosed with cancer. And what do you do? Yeah. You're, you you may have family you're members thinking who have you have to go drive you to do? Cleveland oh to the Cleveland Clinic. Or, you know, he said he went to New York. (laughs) You know, you're thinking, like, I got to go other places. But, in fact, you can probably stay here. But making that decision, right? Like, making having to make that decision, he made that comment, within potentially a 30-minute window where this allows, this nonprofit allows you now to have a one-on-one conversation with someone who is experienced in the industry, but also allows you to slow down that conversation and slow down that decision-making process, which could potentially not only save your life faster, but also potentially save you money. Mm. And I think this ultimately goes back to their mission of making Cincinnati you know, a one-stop shop for yeah. cancer, whether it's treatment or cancer, you know, innov- you know, treating innovations. Uh, so, you know, I'm really excited to see where they're going. Me too. Me too. Before we wrap up, please go download not only this episode, but all our previous episodes as well. That helps us out tremendously. All the other 42 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> you can go to whenpigsfly.fm and you can download from wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please give us a you know a little good rating, you know, hopefully five stars yeah, uh, on Apple Podcasts. And feel free to reach out to Allie or myself. Uh, you can just easily email us at hosts at whenpigsfly.fm. That is hosts, plural, at whenpigsfly.fm. And Allie, what is the most important thing that they need to do? Most importantly, if you like this podcast, tell a friend, tell an uncle, tell your dog, tell your parrot, who can then relay the message to everybody else. It helps, and we appreciate it. On that note, Alan, cheers. Cheers. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or other financial interest in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripts Company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employ us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation, nor provided any investment or legal advice on this show. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. We also want to give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync.